If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. We'll be reading the entire chapter. 2 Peter 1. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up to by remain, reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. We have taken an oath and confirmed it, that we will follow your righteous laws. We have suffered much. Preserve our lives, O Lord, according to your word. Accept, O Lord, the willing praise of our mouths. Teach us your laws. Though we constantly take our lives in our hands, we will not forget your law. The wicked have set up a snare for us, but we have not strayed from your precepts. Your, status, your statutes are our heritage forever. They are the joy of our hearts. Our hearts are set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Guide us today as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. In our last sermon on the foundation of election, 
we looked at verses 3 and 4. Let me read verses 3 and 4 for you. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. From these verses we learned about the foundation of election. We saw that election is grounded in the very great and precious promises of God. Those promises include the new heart, the new spirit, and the giving of the Holy Spirit to all believers, as well as the wonderful gifts of Christ's perfect life, atoning death, and resurrection victory. They also include the promise of his preparing a place for his followers and his return to take those with him to heaven with he and the Father for eternity. You cannot begin to understand the wonder of the message of this great gospel without understanding its foundation. With a proper understanding of the foundation of election, you see clearly that salvation is all of God and of God alone. His divine power has given to each and every believer everything they need to live this life and to live it in such a way as to be pleasing before God. Peter also showed how it is possible that you can do these things. He says it will happen only through your knowledge of Jesus Christ. As you study God's word, as you grow in your understanding of all God has done for you, and you do this through his only begotten son, then, and only then, would you grow in your love and appreciation of this great gospel. As you grow in your wonder of these things, the very promises that are in the foundation of election begin to stand out in your thoughts and guide you in all of the decisions of your life. When this happens, you begin to see that you have been called to participate, to participate in the divine nature of your God. Now, please remember you are not called to participate in the divine being of God. To be a part of the divine being would mean to become God's equal. To be a part of the divine nature simply means to be molded into the image of God or to take on the characteristics of God. There's a big difference, a very important difference in this. You as a creature will always be a creature. All creatures are called to worship and serve God. You are not created to be a God yourself. This would be pure blasphemy, and it must be avoided at all cost. As we continue with these next verses, we see here Peter begins to teach about the purpose of election. He wants you to understand that election brings change to those whom God chooses. It is a change in which you have a clear responsibility. Yes, salvation is exclusive to the work of God. But once that work is begun, the believer takes on duties. The most important of those duties is to worship, serve, and obey. You carry forward with these duties not only, not out of obligation, but to earn from God. You don't earn from God anything in this. But out of love and appreciation, for all he's done for you and you're saving your soul, you grow. 
You grow as you recognize and understand what it is Christ was sent in this world to do for you. Let's examine these next verses and learn about the purpose of our election. First, we should observe that Peter says election is to bring a balanced life. Second, we shall hear that election also produces a life of growth. Third, we will see that election brings an assured life. Peter has told you, as a Christian, you should live a life filled with truth and virtue. He says you can do this by claiming the great and precious promises of God and through those promises, avoiding the corruption of this world. In these next verses, Peter sets down a list of the characteristics a believer has to show in his life. Look at verses 5 through 7. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness love. Peter goes back. He goes back and makes sure you have a proper understanding here that all of this flows from the very great and precious promises of which he has been speaking. He says, for this very reason, because of these promises, giving all diligence, because God has given you such a wonderful promise, you have a responsibility to do something yourself. He has made it absolutely clear It is God's work to save, and you are completely passive in that work. But now, now you are saved. Now you have been made aware of these very great promises of their complete fulfillment in the works of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you have duties to perform. Paul agrees with this understanding in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God has done his work in your heart. He has made you into a new creature. Now, work through this process with great awe and respect for the one who has saved your soul. The phrase, giving all diligence, needs to be looked at in the original languages. Let me give you a very literal translation. But with diligence bringing in all. The NIV has this, make every effort. The difference between the NIV and the New King James is the word effort or diligence. The New King James uses the word diligence. I believe the NIV has softened this too much with the word effort. The word is spode, and it means with speed or dispatch with eagerness. Peter places the word first in the Greek. He does this to emphasize this point. The word better, the word, the better word to use here is diligence. What he wants you to get from this is the importance, the haste, and the eagerness with which you should pursue the course he lays out for you. God has saved you. Now, you are being sanctified. You have a path to follow. When God calls you, Peter says, you must put forth with great diligence and eagerness every possible effort. You must be diligent to follow this call and to do it all with dispatch. Get on with it. Let's get it done. He goes on to say, bringing in or make every, this means to apply. Take it and apply it in your life. 
Let it be a part of you. Let it grow in your life. This tells you that you are to work at being obedient and let your work stand that next to the works of Christ. Not to add to, but to to what is required for your salvation. You don't add to that. But as a testimony of the change in your heart. You remember the good works that's being put aside in heaven for you? As you do them, those you need to hold on to. James says the same thing when he says, show me your faith and I'll show you my works. There are works to do. Faith generates works. That's what we're talking about. Faith will change your life. It will change the pattern of your life. It will set a new course for you. Peter gives you a roadmap for this new course in these verses from in verses 5 through 7. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. This is the path. This is the path to working out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's not earning your salvation. You're working through the process of salvation. God does all the work in salvation. But as you go through this process, there are things you need to be doing in your life. These are the works you have been saved to do. These works do not save you. They reflect the salvation that has been wrought in your heart by your sovereign Lord. Peter says it is your responsibility to work at growing in all of these areas. Let's examine these areas. First, he says, add to your faith. Note, he does not tell you to go out and conjure up faith. His statement says you already have faith. You have faith because it is one of those gifts given with the new heart. It is one of those great and precious promises. Faith is a gift from God. You don't have it without God first working in your heart. Faith is personal and is personal reliance and trust in Jesus Christ. You are given the ability to place your trust in Jesus Christ when your heart is changed. Faith is the basis of the spiritual life. And Peter shows it here as the root or the foundation of all other virtues. You will not, nor can you, have any of these other virtues until God has changed your heart and God has placed faith within you. Jesus Christ is the object in which your faith rests. He's the source of your faith. You can see this in in Mark 9, 24. This is where the man had a son that the disciples couldn't heal. No matter how hard they tried, they couldn't heal him. When Jesus came and, and Jesus talked to the father, he asked the father if he believes he can heal his son. The man's answer is, Lord, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. It is only God who can help you have faith. What is it Peter says you should be adding to your faith? First, he says, add goodness. Now, this gives some people a heartache when you tell them that because they don't understand that uh, men don't have goodness inherently in them. You know, so many people out there, they say, everybody's got some goodness. We just need to find the goodness in them. As Calvinists, we understand the scripture to teach that there's absolutely nothing good in man. The scripture clearly teaches. Psalm 53, verses 1 through 3. The fool is said in his heart, there is no God. 
They're corrupt and have done abominable iniquity. There's none who does good. God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who seek God. Every one of them is turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There's none who does good. No, not one. In your unregenerate state, there was nothing good within you. Your heart was, as Jeremiah said, deceitful and beyond cure. You were, as Paul declared, dead in your sins and trespasses. Therefore, Peter says, when God gives you the new heart, when he gives you that new spirit and places his Holy Spirit in you, he also gives the gifts of faith and repentance. Take that faith and with haste add to it goodness by changing the way you live your life. With faith at work in your heart and goodness as a visible evidence of that faith, then add to your goodness knowledge. We talked last week about the importance of knowledge. Peter places a very high priority on the study of God's word in order for you to grow in your understanding of this one who has called you from the darkness into the light. In the Greek, the word used here implies that it is a must that you use your mind and think. This goes with what I've repeatedly told you. Christianity is a religion that requires you to think. You must apply the truths of God's word to your every circumstance. I think we could say this is not just a call to study the scriptures, but also a call to right thinking. I think what my father would have called common sense. It's the idea of applying the things you already know in a consistent and just manner. You must understand that faith and knowledge go together. For is not faith strengthened by knowledge? Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hear God's word and learn of the hope given and you will increase in faith. As you grow in trust of the wonderful truths of God's word, you will increase in your knowledge of God. So, faith brings you to knowledge and knowledge increases your faith. As you grow, faith grows and you acknowledge in, your knowledge increases, Peter says you will also grow in self-control. Self-control goes to the idea of being disciplined. It's easily applied to the athlete. The athlete, to complete on a high level, must be disciplined or self-controlled. He must work hard to get in shape and stay in shape. Paul says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. The Christian also must go into strict training. He must be self-disciplined in every circumstance. I know that's hard to do. It's not one of those easy things. How does he do that? He does it by trusting in God and following his word in all of life circumstances. You must, as you, as a believer, recognize that in your own strength, you're helpless. You don't have what it takes. It is only in obedience to God's word that you can be strong and it requires great self-control to study and obey God's word. None of us are perfect. And we do at times fail in our self-control. Therefore, Peter adds perseverance. In the Greek word, in the Greek, the word means to remain under. Perseverance means to remain under. 
The context is that you are to remain under the trial or suffering and not give up in trusting in God's strength. In Thayer's lexicon of the New Testament, he defines perseverance as the characteristic of a man who is unswerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. No matter what happens, don't let it take you off of God's path. Don't let it take you away from Jesus Christ. That's what perseverance is, holding fast to what you know. The word perseverance is found throughout the New Testament. It is very closely related to faith. They kind of go hand in hand. It begins in faith because it is faith that teaches the sovereign control of God over the lives of all men. The Heidelberg Catechism explains it this way in question 28. What does it profit us to know that God has created and by his providence still upholds all things? That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and for what is future have good confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature shall separate us from his love, since all creatures are so in his hands that without his will they cannot so much as move. This is perseverance. Complete, unadulterated trust in God and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Regardless. Regardless of the circumstances faced in any situation in this life. (coughs) Peter says, you must grow in this perseverance. And then you must add to it godliness. He returns to this concept from verse 3. This is one of two things for which God meets our every need. He meets them for life And godliness. We find throughout the scriptures that God's people live their lives out among the godless, godlessness, the ungodly. Uh, Consider the lives of Noah, Lot, Joseph, Jeremiah, to mention only a few. These men were constantly surrounded by unbelievers. As a Christian who practiced godliness, who recognizes the presence of God in your life and in each and every circumstance of life, you, you must live your life governed by the Reformation principle, Coram Deo, in the presence of God. Live your life as though you're constantly in his presence under his watchful eye, because you are. This is what Peter was talking about in chapter 1 of his first letter when he quoted God's statement from Leviticus 19.2. Be holy, because I am holy. We are called to a life of holiness, a life of godliness, because when faith enters our hearts, it's the beginning of the process to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. This is the partaking of the divine nature Peter refers to in verse 4. The last two of these virtues are very important in that both refer to love. These two, brotherly kindness and love, show our responsibility to fulfill Christ's summary of the Ten Commandments. You remember the Ten of Summary, Matthew 22, 37-39? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great, greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This has been a reoccurring theme in Peter's teaching. He said in 1 Peter 1.22, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Christianity is a communion. 
is a communion between the believer and God. It's also a communion between the believer and another believer. You cannot be drawn closer to God without being drawn closer to one another. He adds this call for brotherly kindness, the call to love. This seems almost redundant, but Peter wants to be sure you don't restrict the idea of love only to believers. He remembers Jesus' command, love your enemies. Paul also taught this same thing with regard to love in Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's clear. You can restrict the idea of brotherly kindness to only believers, but you cannot do so with love. This brotherly kindness is the recognition of fellow believers as family. This is unique to those who agree with you that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The Apostle John says God is love, and he adds to this, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. What Peter is showing is that those who have faith, and that faith is genuine, will show the fruit of faith in their lives. And the fruit of faith in God is love. What was was Peter's purpose in listing these virtues? He was exhorting you to apply them to your life in order that you might grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and this glorious gospel. He wants you to understand that neglecting these things in your life can cause you to lose your spirituality. Verse 8, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. First, he makes his point very, very positively. Peter says in working to grow in the, these eight characteristics, you're increasing in grace and reaping a very great and wonderful spiritual harvest in your life. This is kind of a roadmap to growing in grace. However, you must not think you have to develop, first develop perseverance before you can find godliness. That's not Peter's intent here. You must grow in each one of these virtues at the same time. They must be planted in the same field, your heart. They must be cultivated through study of God's word each day. If you're working to cultivate each one, then you will not be ineffective or unproductive in your spiritual life. As you work to develop each one of these virtues in your life, you grow in your witness to those who are living around you. And isn't that the whole purpose? To make disciples, to go out and witness to others about what Christ has done for you. To open your life up and to show them Christ has made a difference in my life. He can make a difference in your life. When you're not working and applying these things in your everyday life, you're ineffective and unprepared and very unproductive. We don't want to be unproductive. You might even say you're, you're useless to society and especially to the church if you aren't working on these things in your life. But for the person who works hard to develop all eight of, their, eight of these things in their life, they are the salt and light of a dark and flavorless world. The true believer's cry is exactly what the hymn, More About Jesus, What I Know, shows when it says, More about Jesus, what I know, more of his grace to others show, more of his saving fullness see, more of his love who died for me. Peter also shows us the negative side of this in verse 9. 
For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter offers you a contrast. If there is someone who lacks any of these eight characteristics, he's ineffective and unproductive. The blindness Peter is referring to is a spiritual blindness, a blindness to the truth of God's word. He uses both words because blindness means someone without the ability to see and short-sightedness or nearsighted, which means someone who refuses to open his eyes and look. This goes along with the Apostle John's teaching that any man who claims to live in the light but hates his brother stumbles in the darkness because the darkness has blinded him. The real issue in this verse, though, is the idea of this man's forgetting he has been cleansed. You cannot forget what Jesus Christ has done for you. Your whole spiritual existence is tied to remembering Christ's work on your behalf. How can you be appreciative for what you have forgotten? This is like the man who heard the word and then, because of the cares of the world, turned away and never produced any faith. He wasn't saved to start with. It is the fruit that comes in these eight verses that will identify you as a true believer in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John speaks of these types of people who have no fruit in 1 John 2, 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. This is the same thing Peter says about these fruits of faith. It is the same thing James said about having faith which is shown by works. These are the fruits of faith. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Peter has shown that your election, your life, in union with Jesus Christ, is based on the great and precious promises of a sovereign God. That life is then developed and strengthened by your study of the truths found only in God's word and applied to your life daily. He also wants you to see that it is only as you work to make these promises alive in your life through the application of these virtues that assurance will grow in your heart. Verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election for sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter says, therefore, brethren, those who are true believers in Jesus Christ with me. Remember in verse 1, Peter addressed them concerning our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He also said they had a faith as precious as ours. He speaks only to those who know and love Jesus Christ for the salvation he has purchased on their behalf. He tells them to be diligent. And that's the same word used in verse 5, spode. Here, it could be appropriately translated eager. Here again, he wants you to come to the living of this Christian life with diligence and eagerness. It is even a sense of urgency in this. He is calling, do it and do it now. Come on, folks, get with the program. Let's get busy. 
The reason for this urgency is the proving of your calling and election. Without these virtues working in your life, there's no assurance of God's call on your life. Please, please do not think these virtues have to be full-blown and without fault in your life for you to be saved. They do not. But they have to be budding in your life. This calling and election are the sole work of God in your heart. The proof of that calling is shown in how you face the circumstances of this life. Your task comes in approaching, appropriating your salvation so that you are absolutely sure God has called you and this begins with your growth in the knowledge of the work of Jesus Christ and the development of these virtues in your everyday life. Peter goes on to make sure you understand that once you begin to build on this foundation, you can never fall from it. In the parable of the sower, you're told of others who receive the word but never establishes their foundation and thus fall away. The person who makes the knowledge gained from the word his foundation will never fail. He will never fall away for God is the one who is holding them up. What is the great and precious promise to all who hear and apply this teaching from Peter? Look at verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God calls you. He calls you. He met to and, and make sure of your election by his grace. He calls you to it. You take it and run with it. He gives to you the ability to hear his word and apply these virtues to your life. Then he responds to your diligence and eagerness by drawing you to himself and placing you in his eternal kingdom of his son. Isn't that wonderful? The promises of our God are indeed great and precious. He's working in the hearts of each and every one to help this grow. Those who will hear his word and will believe on his only begotten son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they will grow. I hope that everyone here this morning knows this glorious message of love and hope. But if there are those who do not, then I call you to listen and to listen closely. God in his infant mercy sent Jesus Christ into this world to live the perfect life, die the atoning death, and win the resurrection victory on behalf of all who come to the foot of the cross, bow their hearts, and confess their failure to be obedient. If you will do this, if you will acknowledge your need of him as your Savior, he will hear and he will save you. For here is the purpose of election, to save his people from their sins, and that means you, if you will open your heart and listen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come boldly to your throne of grace. We come that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. You have shown that those who come to you to serve and help others obtain a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is found only in Jesus Christ. Father, fill us with this boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Let your love be perfected among us as a church that we may stand fast in the day of judgment. Because as Jesus is, so shall we be in this world. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.